0: Hey everybody, this is Frank Bello, and you're listening to Sonic Perspectives. Frank, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. I really appreciate it and I love the book. Thank you, Rob. Thanks for having me, man. I love I love your house already. I could see big space, big open, open location. <laughs> I love that. I'm in a small okay. basement in Westchester. Look at this. I'm mine's the opposite of yours right now. My head's gonna hit the ceiling. It's, it's- <laughs> <laughs> this, is <what> it
1: is. <laughs> this is the only room in the house that has good lighting. Everything else is terrible lighting, and I, it looked like I'd be in the dark. So I have to do it in this room. I have all the shades open and trying
0: to bring it's in nice, natural though. light. It's nice. Got the guitar back there. I love seeing what people have in the background. The guitar yeah. stand, that's awesome right there.
1: Yeah, one's a PS. I've been PS 10, the reissue or, or the, the limited edition when they reunion tour one. And then I made that um, Eddie Van
0: Halen one. It doesn't play well, but it looks cool. But it looks awesome in the background. So that's a Paul Stanley model?
1: Yeah, that's a PS10 from 1996 for the reunion. It's a black flake with the gold hardware. Wow.
0: And it's autographed by them. That looks awesome. You want to see it? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm pathetic this way. I have to Things like this I get into totally, man. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. All signed? Yeah, well, nice. Gene Paul, uh, the the reunion lineup, I guess it was. That's awesome, dude. I I I don't think I've ever seen that guitar. That's an awesome looking guitar. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's it's uh,
1: what is it, it It's gold.
0: It? I have I have the one in silver from
1: '92, but this one's different. So is that an good. Ibanez?
0: Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Wow. That's that's a nice looking guitar. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Well, again, I appreciate you coming, in. I really enjoyed your book, man. Uh, what was it like seeing Gene Simmons' name on the cover of your book?
0: Well, for me, you have to understand. Now that you've read the book, you know how much of a big Kiss fan I was. Oh, me too, and I am still. So, for to for me to come full circle, and you've read the stories of meeting Gene when I was 15 years old and being a fan, and really yeah. uh, uh, all that stuff, um, to, to come full circle like this, and when Joel said Gene said yes to writing my forward. It was I was Frank Bello, fifteen year old Frank Bello, all over again. Yeah. And then when I read it, Rob, that's the crazy, the crazy thing about it. I've never, I've known Gino a, a long time now. We've toured with him. I know since I'm young, actually. Um, for him to talk like that and about uh, really private stuff and his personal life with his dad, it really hit home. And I thanked him. I mean, I'm still thanking him. I, I couldn't believe that that was going in my book. I'm so, I'm honored because yeah. he, he spoke from the heart and it's a different <laughs> kind of Gene Simmons, which I love. Um, I, I, I'm very flattered and I'm humbled by that. By, by that, Do
1: you know him on that type of rapport?
0: Do you have that rapport with him and that level with him? or? I, yeah, I, I talk That's to Gene great. a lot about a lot of things. Um, I'm Look, I don't talk like I'm friends every day, but when I see Gene, it's always the big hug. Gene, you have to understand, so the stories in the book are true. When I was young, 14, 15 years old, me and my friend Tom were cut out of school, Rob. We were cut out of school and their management was down on 57th Street in Manhattan. We were cut out of school and go downtown. Tommy would find out he had some kind of in at their management and find out when they're going to have a meeting. So we would wait in front of their management office, freezing. I mean, this is always January, February. It's always freezing, you know, wonderful New York City freezing, right? Leather jackets, the whole thing. We were like this. And so we would just wait for hours. For the, we didn't know what they looked like in those days either because those are the days yeah. where they had the masks on and uh, they didn't want anybody – it was mystique. They didn't want anybody to know yeah. what they looked like. So we would just wait for these tall guys with platform shoes, with long hair, with suits on, walking into this management office. I mean, that's how we knew it was KISS. And that's pretty cool. So often. Eventually – Gene and Paul would just know our names. Uh, And Gene would go, Frank Bello, what are you doing here? How how did you know (laughs) we were here today? He would just do all (laughs) of this crazy stuff and and say, I don't know how you're getting here. But after the thousandth, signature he's given me, I mean, we saw them all the time. So, But every time we went, we found out more KISS info and that was the key. It wasn't just about meeting them. Of course, it was great, but it was about finding out what was their new record like, what was their yeah. next tour, what was the staging, what costumes. They, it was it was KISS fandom. It was awesome. Yeah,
1: they're my favorite band too. You know, it's funny, I did that too. I, um, I worked in the city and it was either for the Asylum tour or the Crazy Nights tour. I looked on the back of the album, I saw the address of the management company, and just on my lunch break, I I went down there for shits and giggles. Yeah. And who do I see but Paul Stanley walking down the street, big mane of hair, wearing a red lifeguard shirt and a, a jacket over him. And I didn't bring anything to be signed or a camera because I really didn't think it was gonna happen. I just right. stood there and he came by and we shook hands and he walked in and I was just totally flabbergasted. And it was it was it's very that,
0: nice. It's that kind of vibe, right? You know, you're, you're seeing your hero, your hero come down the street and there is something very special, especially in those days. You know, for for me and Tom and some of my friends that came, it was was really special because coming from, you know, that was the guy I looked, one of the guys I looked up to as like father figures, heroes, Mm -hmm. something to look forward to in my life and it was that important to make them know that and thank you for doing what you're doing to make me feel good it was really awesome really cool time so we're big fans but uh, what i i read all the rock star books and i really
1: enjoyed yours because it was it was a very personal touch it felt like you and i were having the conversation just like we are now and you're telling me these stories thanks um was that the initial approach or was it something that
0: started to surface as you were writing it it was the the initial approach with Joel McIver, my co-writer. The first conversation we had about actually writing it, I said, "Look, I don't want this to be a telltale. I'm not going to give dish dirt on anybody. I'm not interested in that yeah. stuff. That stuff is not for me. I just want to have a, a positive kind of vibe. I've been very lucky in my life. I want to pay it forward. Uh, I want to I want to see. I want to make it seem like you and I are sitting at a bar, Rob. We're sitting at a bar or a pub. We're having a beer or a coffee and just talking." And from what I'm getting, and thankfully, the reviews have been great. Um, people are getting that. They're getting the vibe like I'm just having a conversation with them, which yeah. I love. That's all I want to do. I don't want to talk over anybody. I don't want to be, I'm the musician guy. Fuck that. Let's be real. Let's just talk. And this is my life. And yeah. I'm hoping people get something out of it.
1: Yeah, it really wasn't a book on Anthrax's history, um, which you could have easily done. It's more about Frank Bello, who happens to be a person in the band. Um, why didn't you go back down that path a little bit more about talking about the band? You know, I know you interweaved
0: it, but it's... I thought it was important to come from a different side. Number one, uh, my guitar player, Scott Ian, has written two books, and he's, he's covered a lot of the anthrax yeah, stuff. I read so I thought that was out there, and that's cool. I'm glad people know the history of anthrax, because that, that's needed to be said. But this is my take um, from my life, and I thought it would be more important for people in general, because, look, I've been very fortunate. I'm, I'm thankful for the the band I'm in I, we've, we've had success I've been, I'm able to feed my family with this with this band and all that good stuff I have a 15 year old boy right that I want to be everything that I didn't have i I want to I don't want to bring in that luggage to my son I want to be the, the great dad who's always there for him and I, I wanted to leave him with something and say look this is how your dad did it you can do this too never say I should have it's really important to me and I, and I wanted people to know, there's a lot of people hitting hitting me up now, comments, letters, how this, they're reading the book and they're getting, they're connecting with it because look, the loss of my brother, unfortunately, this, uh, my brother was murdered and yeah. uh, I we, we've dealt with that. And I, a lot of therapy and all that good stuff helped me through it. People are finding that with loss of a loved one and how I did it. And I brushed myself off and moved on. It's yeah. really important. And then abandonment. Abandonment's a big deal in my life. It's why I have that hole that never leaves. And I've thankfully for music, that, that really filled it up and made me have something, an outlet for it. I thought it was really important for people to know that there's, there's a way out of that depression and that vibe of that emptiness. If abandonment is a tough thing and a lot of people yeah. are dealing with it. I grew up with, you know in, in, with, my, with my family without a dad and my mom had five kids. It was, a, it was a big deal. Welfare, the whole thing. So you'll see, in, you'll read it in the book. And uh, I thought that was important for people to know yes, I refuse to go down. If I got slapped down, you got to brush yourself off. And I say that a lot because I want my son to know that. I want him to see it in interviews when he, when he sees me. You can do this. And people are finding that. And look, I'm not a preacher. I'm just telling you my story. I want, at this point in my life, it's a reflective time. It's like, look, I've had this success and I'm very thankful for, not the biggest success, but somewhat success. I want to pay it forward. If I can make one person feel better about their vibe where they're at and move on to tomorrow and a better day, we're all good. That's fantastic. And I think the book comes across that way. So
1: it, it's, it's a, it has a very positive vibe and it has a very positive ending to your, you, know, to it. So it's fantastic. So. Thank you. You know, um, I'm intrigued. Early on in the book that you mentioned that there was this kid that was bullying you. And uh, when you were writing the book, you went and you started to research and you found him. Uh, but you, you obviously didn't mention his name or anything like that. And I was just wondering, did you um, do you know if he had a successful career and a good life? I was just kind of wondering, does bad shit happen to bad people?
0: You know, there was a time in my life where, you know, because I, it scarred me big time. When you get bullied, dude, you know, bullying is really... It's horrible. It's horrible Serious problem. Yeah. how you're bullied. If it, now it's a lot of via internet bullying. But when I was, that was straight on getting my ass kicked, bullying every day yeah. uh, in Haverstraw, New York. The story is for people that haven't read the book yet, uh, I grew up uh, in a normal family before my dad took off. We had a great house in Rockland County. When my dad took off, we didn't see it. There was no money. My mom was a housewife in those days. She didn't work. She just took care of the family. So we had no ways to make a living. The pink notices kept coming in. I kept seeing them come in the mailbox and that meant they were taking the house away. We had no money. We weren't on welfare yet. We didn't know about it. No food, open the cupboard. And this uh, this was one poignant uh, scene in my, my life that always really hits home. It was opening the cabinets. I remember seeing this one box of rice oroni that sticks in my mind. That was all she had left. And I laugh about it through tears. Well, no.
1: yeah. it's,
0: it's a therapy tool. Um, and i looked at that box and she was trying to make that box work for five kids wasn't going to work right yeah. then and there i promised myself i would never let this happen again ever in my family if i have to have a family in my life i would never i'll i'll dig ditches if i have to this will never happen to my child i won't not i don't want that feeling for anybody in this life first off would yeah. it happened again brush yourself off we survived we moved on. Uh, the women in my life, and this is why it's dedicated to strong women. The strong women in my life: my grandmother, my mom, my aunt—very strong women. They took the ball after I was abandoned. My family was abandoned, and they raised me to be the man I am. And I'm thankful for it. And this is a tribute to them and my brother Anthony. Of course. Of course. So, did you find the guy? Did and was he? Does he have a life, or is he just he still a jerk? To tell you the truth, I didn't care. I didn't look what he did, and because I'm not that kind of guy. I said, look. Okay. I think now, uh, back then, uh, it, it just would have been bad. I was, I, I, I can't stand them cause discard the stuff that they did yeah. and his friend did, it was like, man, that was bad. It was, gotcha. I, mean, I have to take you through it. I would be on my way to school every day. There's one path to get to school and you had to walk through it. They would wait for me in different parts. And I tried to get around them. So if I tried to run this way, one guy would stop me and stand in front of me. The other guy would jump on my back and then the beating proceeded. And I, the only thing I can get away from, and this is what years of therapy helps with this. I, the only way I can get away from these guys because it, it was such a horrible beating. I mean, there were cuts everywhere. So I went under every, any car I could find and hugged the muffler. I remember that was my safe place because it was like a center, it was the center of the car. Yeah, yeah. As they were kicking me under the car, going under, that was my safe place to get under there and say, all right, now I'm safe. I just waited them out. I mean, this is hours, dude, hours. I was late for school all the time. And and the only reason I came into school, uh, they knew I was late for a reason because I had fucking blood and cuts. And after a while, that's why, thankfully, Uh, we all decided it was better for me to move back down to the Bronx with my grandmother. And that's where my oasis started. And that's why I talk about such beautiful times in my grandmother's house. And that was my safe home, my oasis. And uh, that started my music career with Charlie Benanti, uh, who was in the house with my uncle.
1: Yeah, no, that's a sad story. And I get it. Um, You know, what was interesting. You talked about in the book um, when you first jammed with anthrax in the bedroom playing. And uh, I play guitar also. And it's, there's such a significant feeling between playing with records and playing with guys no matter what level they are absolutely tell me a little about that part of it
0: well there's two parts you know coming from look what i did was i went <clears at> to my <throat> uncle joe's deli right i come home from school go to his deli work it's around the corner i work and three three whenever i got home i went right into the deli till eight o'clock i would go home at eight o'clock if i had some homework i usually didn't have homework because i did it at school i would go right to my vinyl records and I start listening to it and learning the new songs, whatever Rush, you know, whatever, whatever Maiden, whatever it was, I learned in my room how to be a bass player. I also learned in my room how to be a performer because that was in my life because that's that's my heroes did this. I my stage was my bed. So yeah. I would stand on top of my pathetic. <laughs> I know it sounds. but it, We all so did my, it. that's my training, this is my training ground so in my bed, you guys could do this, for the young aspiring musicians who are watching this right now you can do this you have a room, if you have a room with a bed in it my stage was the bed I stood on top of the stage and I listened after I knew the songs, I learned to sit down first I learned it and then I, when I knew it was ready to get up on stage I got up on stage, I knew I knew the song I would stand up and then all of a sudden became Madison Square Garden, the walls were filled with people dude Ah, in my mind it was the best, right? I, was, I don't get. I didn't care, and I would develop all my all my stage with for my heroes. I, I see, like Steve Harris. I do this, you know, that whole thing. <laughs> and my big move, my big, my big jump off the, I may believe off the stage. There was the drum riser. I jump off the bed onto the floor. Yeah, and I hear the big roar in my head. Uh, these were these were my training days. So, going into Anthrax, that was my training. So imagine how intimidating. These guys were a band already. So yeah. I got this audition and my my friend, Tom, who I love, had told me a couple of weeks before, you better start learning those songs. I already knew them uh, because I was friends with these guys and I, I, was a, I was a roadie. I was a tech. I was hanging out and doing bad jobs at changing strings. I was horrible at it, but um, it was <laughs> terrible. So I knew, but I didn't know there was going to be an open audition. And I was friends with Danny Lilker. Uh, so I felt bad about auditioning but then I thought well if I don't audition somebody else is gonna get the part then somebody's gonna get the- so why wouldn't I audition at least I know these guys and I'm comfortable yeah. so I did and so I took that training I just talked about in the room and learned and I had the anthrax songs in my head so I kind of used that confidence confidence to come <laughs> in very intimidating because these guys were players They played, yeah. I played with the fucking vinyl record by myself and so you never really jammed and so mm-hmm. i played with the anthrax songs in my room and i did all my thing but it wasn't un- like when you i was very intimidated when i went to the audition so i just put my head down and i said i know the songs i just tried to sell myself because i was always- i was like don't fuck up if you fuck up keep going that's what i did put my head down head as hard as i could with my little guido short haircut and i, I head as hard as i could and it all worked out Yep. And the rest is history, right? And the rest is history. And from then on, that was the day they told me I was in and it's been nonstop since then, since that seven, I was the 17 year old kid right there from the Bronx. It's
1: funny. I've seen you a bunch of times. So now that I know where you got all those stage moves, I'll be thinking about you the next time I see you.
0: Is he on his bed or is he on the riser? (laughs) Dude, It's usually on the bed and you know, there's, there's a lot of fun things because I remember this stuff as I'm on stage. Some of the times you go back, you go back and say, and you kind of laugh because you, you're th- I'm thankful for it. It's like, how did I, what, how did I get here? And I say, remember that bed? It yeah. puts me in a mindset. Don't forget where you came from. I live on that. Don't yeah. forget where you came it's from. And it keeps me humble and it keeps me hungry. More importantly.
1: You know, it's interesting how you connected with musicians who were bass players, Gene Simmons, Steve Harris, Lemmy. Um, tell me about the exact moment when you decided you wanted to be a bass player versus a guitar player or a singer or a drummer.
0: I could tell you exactly the time. Uh, great question, by the way, Rob. This is, this was come. This comes where jamming with Charlie and my friend Mike. I, and just I don't know what we were jamming. Probably a Rush song or a Kiss song. One of the songs we were jamming. And I was I was playing rhythm. Um, Charlie I think was jamming drums, or oh, he might have been playing guitar because he's a good guitar player. Yeah. Another friend, Mike, was playing guitar. Just jamming back and forth. And I always heard to from day one, man. I heard the bass in a mm-hmm. song first. So I would in. Immediately go to the bass part and learn it even though I was playing guitar. So Charlie was the one who noticed he goes Dude, you're playing the bass parts. Why don't you just switch the bass because obviously you you're hearing that first and that's what, what kind of happened so I got a bass and dude Rob as soon as I it clicked in immediately as soon as it okay now I'm home now, I knew I could do something with this instrument. It was, it was meant to be like that, although I love guitar. Mm-hmm. I'm not a great guitar player. I'm a rhythm guitar player. You know, I hear the bass parts all the time. And I still, to this day, when I hear a song, I'll listen first, even before the melodies. I'll listen to what the bass guy's doing, and then it goes to the melodies and then the song.
1: Yeah, and I've seen you play bass with Anthrax. I've also played, seen you play guitar at um, the Cutting Room with, uh, with David. Uh, yeah. He actually interviewed you guys in the basement that time. Yes. When I you remember. played there so yeah it, it was great to see you and i thought you did a fantastic job with that also so, so thank kudos. you yeah
0: i i find well i write with rhythm guitar i write with a guitar it's it's easier for me to write of course um and that's how i, I do open mics and stuff like that i, I find it to, it gets the song out it gets the yeah. song out is the way i want it to get out um i'm just i was just doing it a little while ago i it's it's an extension you know so the bass is and I love that I could switch from the guitar to the bass because the bass parts, it's a very special thing to me. It still is to this day, I'm very hungry on the bass. I'm always, I'm, I'm a student, I've, I'll always be a student of bass. I'll always look, find different bass players that I want to just, how does he do that? I love saying, how does he do that? And just digging in and how does he do that? I want to find out and just nitpicking. I love awesome. nitpicking. It makes sense That's to correct. me. I want I want to stay hungry.
1: You also talk about being an actor. Uh, you were in some shows. Um, what's the status of that career right now? And uh, can we see you in anything that's maybe upcoming now that maybe with the Not pandemic?
0: Because I haven't auditioned for anything in a while because the obvious, you know, but, um, they shut it all down. You
1: can't even yeah, audition well, that's, for that that's stuff. It's
0: opening up now. Now what I find my, I had an audition a couple of weeks ago. I had did it in this room right here. I put the black the black screen up in the back, and you do it like it's self auditions. But uh, yeah, my agent knows now. Now I can do stuff because off touring. We we just did a bunch of uh, festival shows. So, so, yeah. uh, I'm available so whenever they want uh, I, I told them I'm open um, I, I love it and just so you guys know that haven't read the book yet the reason the acting thing came in 20 some odd years ago studying I wanted to go deep into it theater I thought it was important because I love performing um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I found and I didn't know this until after I started studying with some of the, the bigger names in, in, in acting down in, in the city William Esper, my, my teacher William Esper. I, I mentioned him because he was a great man He's a great man that taught me a lot about life, not only about <laughs> acting. Uh, he found out, uh, he taught me how to find myself. And that's what I think turned me on to acting so much. Nobody gives a shit about fame. You know, Rob, I don't look, fame is, it's either here or there, it comes and goes. I don't care about it. I think acting made me find more about myself. You went, went deep because you find your truth. Yeah, and that's what the whole thing is. Truth.
1: And you had a lot of hardship, so you could be doing the, <laughs> it really the hard, the, the sad stuff pretty
0: well. You could pull. Yeah, pull and it's from easy it, right? to use, and you can be another character. I could use all that stuff, and it's great to use it because it's some place for it to go, right? Yeah. So I found that it, it alleviated. It's another another way of alleviating whatever emptiness I had. So I found I went deep into that. I'm still deep into. I love it. It's just another way of an outlet for me. Um, you know, whatever, whatever comes up, I tell my agent, play comes up, let me know if I'm, if I can do it, if I'm available, Anthrax networking. not working, Anthrax has to come first. That's my thing. It always, that's first and foremost. And then everything else can to bridge out after that.
1: I have to ask, Anthrax tour, what's
0: 2022? What are you thinking? Yeah. Like everybody else, we just finished our last, we played this last Sunday and uh, welcome to Rockville. Great mm-hmm. set. We played with Metallica, uh, hung out with my friend, um, name dropping right here. I, I had a good conversation because um, James Hetfield, I haven't talked to him in a while and I remember um, right before I wrote this I was writing this book with Joe I, I watched this this thing absent. I don't know if you saw that documentary he was yeah. James you should watch it he tells a lot of stuff about abandonment He talks about a lot of, about abandonment and his, his deal and I thought it really hit home for me and it made it put I, I told him it kind of pushed me over the edge of wanting to share my thing. It made, it made it easier for me to share my thing. So I handed James my book and he said, you know, he's, you know, thanks and all that good stuff. I said, dude, be, you know, feel free to, to read it and all that stuff. And I hope he does. I said, I just wanted to thank him for, for doing that, for doing that absent segment. And I thought it, it did a lot for me to make me want to open up about abandonment. And it made it easier for me to write the book with Joel. So
1: uh,
0: it was a great thing. And um, so this, this whole abandonment thing is an ongoing issue. It's you know in my life I never deal with it now I know how to deal with it but it's always there it's always going to be there but I'll I fight it It, you kind of like compartmentalize and I think that's really important to do that
1: no Uh, that's that's
0: that's the way to do it kudos to you that
1: you know um Frank too was um you mentioned it earlier and it was very apparent in the book there's no mudslinging in this book there's no down and dirty stories sordid tales about anybody else and your involvement Um, like so many of the other rock star books.
0: Conscious decision not to totally. to put all that stuff. I'm sure there's all that stuff back there, but you don't want to. Yeah. You don't want to bring it forward. Everybody's got those those stories, right? We all, you know. I'm in a band yeah. that I love. Look, we have our fights. I mean, I'll be really honest. Like everybody, like brothers, I'm with Anthrax. How many years? Almost 40 years. I'm in this band. Right. Look, you're gonna have some arguments about writing all that other stuff. You're gonna have like brothers that we are. The truth of the matter is, you grew up. I know these guys more than my family. I'm with them more than my family. So you're going to have your bumps and bruises. That's okay. That happens. Yeah. I don't want to talk about it. I'm not going to make somebody feel bad. That doesn't mean, especially where, you know, I don't want to, we're in the band. I don't want to say, oh, I saw, I talked about this. I talked, no, dude, we'll get over our shit. That's the way I look at it. There's other stuff to focus on more important stuff. The stuff that I think people could actually use. Look, yeah. there's a lot of great, great rock and roll stories in this book that are fun. So it's not just heavy, but uh, I think there's some parts in this book that could, people could actually use with their life and say, look, how did he get through it? You know, yeah. And if he can get through it, then maybe I can try something to get through it. That's that's my point.
1: And without having to go on social media to say, this sucks too. So, <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. This person did me wrong. And so that's and, great. And, um, how much of that do we need in life? Real, I mean, mm-hmm. especially at this point, there's so much negativity out there with the cancel culture and all that other shit. I don't care. <laughs> I'm a straight shooter, dude. I'll tell you how it is. And yeah. I don't. I don't want to talk about. It. If I wanted to, I can do it. But what for? What is that going to make me feel better? No. Is it going to make no. them feel? No. What is no. it doing? All right, so somebody's like, Oh, really? somebody could read it. Oh, really? Oh, wow. I didn't know that. And then what? Exactly. And then it goes I'm away. To correct the shit. And you know, I, I, I'm past yeah. it. I want to move on with life. I want to put out the positive vibes. And look, we're we're above ground. You and I are above ground right now, Rob. Right? Yes In sir. this horrible, horrible time that the world is going through. Yeah. Take it. Speaking of uh, making things right, one of my
1: favorite stories in the book was when you and the guys from Metallica got drunk, and then you broke into Kurt's studio, right? And you were jamming drunk, and he wasn't there. He went home early, went to bed. And you wrote in the book, and if I'm not mistaken, you said the door to
0: his studio was open. Who, Who leaves the door to their studio open? Well, nobody knew that other than the guys in that car. Right. Oh. So it, it, nobody knew it was, it, they said, he usually leaves. Oh, we just got lucky that night. Let's be honest. Oh. And we were all loaded. This is the drinking days. I have to say that this is the drinking yeah. days with Metallica. They came to the show for the guys, for people, girls and guys who haven't read the book yet. It's one of the fun stories there's a lot of great ones. Oh. Um, there is, I mean, one of the Metallica stories is, so we, they come to the show. Anthrax is playing in San Francisco. The guys from Metallica come out. We're friends. Long story, long story short, they're on the side. We decide, all right, let's go out and have some bar hopping we're gonna go bar hopping we hadn't done it in a while everybody's getting together so we had a couple of cars friends driving it you know sober, sober guys driving so we can have fun bar hopping, bar hopping so kirk goes off because he's got an appointment the next morning early right so well so we kept going heavy i mean shots were plentiful that night it was bad so it came to the point where i was in the back of lars's range rover and those turns in San Francisco are pretty crazy, right? You know, they're weaving and we- you know, they're weaving stuff. I felt this. All of a sudden, dude, out of nowhere, I'm in the back. I, just- <laughs> I was there in Scott. And I'm in my head. I'm like, holy shit. They're looking, what the fuck? I, with my elbow, I, I put the window down, just toss it out. But then it didn't stop. So I just, dude, it kept it kept going. It was like a faucet on the side. of oh, poor Lars' car, man. It, the whole thing was like green. It was, it was disgusting. I felt bad, but so went, <laughs> anyway, clean up, clean up, go to the next bar, we're still going. That's, that's, what, that's what happened those those kind of days. So somebody on the way after the bars were closing, somebody mentioned, we need to jam. Where can we jam? It's 2 o'clock, two, two o'clock in the morning, 2.30 in the morning. Where are you going to jam? Somebody brings up, Kirk has a studio in the back of his house and sometimes he leaves the door open yeah let's go okay you know we're fucking out of our minds yeah we're just fucking going beeline both cars going right to kirk's house this is a great area great neighborhood you can't make a lot of noise so we're like we're walking up this hill to his go around the back look in the window nobody's there open the door open the lights fill dude with amps amps drums svt amps guitars everywhere everything you want to make fucking noise crazily, is a great <laughs> setup he's got there. So, we're we're kids in a candy store at this point. We go in there, every knob was turned on to 10. If it was an 11, they'd be put on a fucking 11. Every knob was on 10. We just, everybody put on a guitar, bass, Charlie went on the drums, Lars went on the drums, we just fucking every you know ah, we just scream at the top of our fucking. Imagine that now, <laughs> Anthrax and Metallica in that room, just the loudest <laughs> noise we can. We didn't even know what we were fucking playing. Every riff came out, just riffs were fucking everywhere. So all of a sudden, awesome. this is ten minutes in, and there's a little there's a window coming down from the stairway, coming from the connection with the house. And all of a sudden, I, at the corner of my eye, I see Kirk coming down, and he looks in the window, and his eyebrows go down. He's Fucking pissed, right? I felt horrible. And he's looking, and I see him because nobody could hear him. He's like, What the fuck, man? What the fuck, right? I'm like, Oh shit. He sees this. Everything shuts down. He comes in. He comes in the door. He's pissed. He's in his robe. He's sleeping. The poor guy was sleeping. Dude, this is not cool. This is how dare you. It was really bad. I felt we all felt horrible, right? Long story short, so we leave. He, he goes, get out, get out. He just throws us out. So we walk in, and you know, with our heads down, and we felt bad. Some some of us were snickering, but it was horrible. I felt bad. So we're walking down the hill back to the cars. And I'm, I'm standing next to Lars. And we're walking down and I, I, did, I said, Lars, I feel really bad, dude. Yeah. He goes, maybe we should apologize. Now, I don't know if Lars was playing me in this on this or not, but he goes, yeah, maybe we should go apologize, Frank. So, and I was drunk. So I said, no, all right, you know what? Let's go apologize. <laughs> yeah, to go. So up, back up the hill. Now, this is the front door. The, the front door is this big, beautiful glass door that he had there. Beautiful. I don't know where it came from. I found out later on. We'll talk about it. But um, so I ring the bell. Two minutes, nobody answers. Ring the bell again. Nobody's answering. So I'm, yeah, I'm still a little tipsy, so I lean back and say, you know, like this on the door. Kirk, come on. Come on. All of a sudden, I lose my balance and my ass falls. I fall into the door. All of a sudden, you hear whoosh, the whole fucking thing breaks. The, whole, all the I don't know how my ass didn't get cut, but glass is yeah. everywhere. Me and Law is like a comedy. Look at each other. Oh, shit. Fucking dart down. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, my God. All we hear from the background as we was running, somebody opening the door. Dude, what the fuck? You broke my fucking door. What the fuck, dude? Uh, I felt sick. it was Kirk. He came out and yeah, I felt so bad. Now the kicker is, okay, so everybody goes back to their homes and hotels and all that stuff. We all get home. We were all. I was. I was afraid. So I felt bad. Anthrax was on tour. We had a show the next day. So my tour manager, I'm, I'm hungover. You know, I'm, I'm in the dressing room playing my bass. My, hung, my, my, my tour manager comes. He has a piece of paper in his hand. He goes, Frank. He's questioning me. Frank, uh, where were you last night? I said, Ah, we went out with the Metallica guys. had a had a had a great time. A little hungover. I said. He goes, You did, huh? Well, this just was facts to me. This is a fax. It says it's a bill, an invoice, thirteen thousand dollars for one big door. Okay, one big last door. Now, <laughs> Look, I didn't have fucking $13,000. I was scared shitless. I holy shit. And I'm looking at dude, I can't afford this. What the fuck? This is 13. I mean, I wasn't making that kind of money. I was I was like, "Holy shit." He goes, "Well, it just came, man. You're going to have to do it." So I felt so terrible. I called up Kirk and Media. I said, "Dude, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean I fell into the door. I didn't know what I didn't know what to do. So I just ran. I'm so sorry." Uh, and he kind of had a chuckle in it because he, he wanted to get me yeah was, it's cool dude you know just just don't want, don't do that again okay and he's very very i love kirk i love them all uh he's just just don't do that again okay i said all right cool so long story short i found that was a setup to really scare me which they really did they, <laughs> did they planned that was awesome because it scared the shit out of me it turned out he said later on to somebody in an interview it was only like 850 but long story short you let me go on it and I was really petrified about it. I felt really horrible, but it was a great time. That night was one. It was, it lives in infamy in my mind. I loved it.
1: And that was my favorite story in the book. Oh, great. I, I want to be respectful to your time. Do you have time for one more question? Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. Great. Um, at the end of the book, you talked about writing this for your son. Did you, has your son
0: read it? And what did he think? He hasn't read it yet because I want to prepare him. And right now he's so consumed with homework and he's getting projects. Yep. And, you know, he's 15. I so he's a 17-year-old too. So, yeah. Yeah, so you understand. And um, I don't want to overwhelm me. He has the book. He's, he's the first person I gave it to him before my, my wife. And I said, this is for you. When you have time, you read it um and when he does uh you know i'll prepare him for it because there's a lot of stuff in there he didn't know about you know abandonment he doesn't know any about that stuff i told him about it but now he's going to read about it so i want him to be prepared i prepared my mom for it um because this is a big deal that she went through and she funny enough rob what we're talking right now you and i during this interview my mom called me about 45 minutes ago before this interview and she's kind of sniffling And um, I didn't do this in any other interview because she just did it. She goes, she's kind of sniffing. She goes, look, I love you. I'm very proud of you. And I'm sorry it was so hard for you. It hit home, dude. It it took me a couple minutes to recover from that. I said, Ma, you did everything. It's a celebration of you and the strong women in my life. You didn't. You didn't do anything wrong. If anything, you carried the ball after somebody else dropped it. You should be proud. This is a, a, a thank you to you. This book is a thank you to the strong women in my life for making me whoever I am in this world. You made me the man I am. So thank you. That's what I'm saying. So it's a wonderful goes, sentiment. It went a long way with her. She goes, "Thank you, thank." And she really, she was very at peace with that, and that made sense. So I was very good, happy good. about that. Well, Frank, it was a
1: fantastic interview, and it was so nice to speak with you again. And I really enjoyed the book, and I can't say enough great things about it. And I hope all the people go out after the, some of these stories that you shared. I hope it teases them to go out and get the book because I, I thought it was fantastic.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff in there. They, look, it's like, like like life; it's peaks and valleys, but you know, well, it's a it's a positive ending, and that's the whole idea. And, and say you can do this. Brush yourself off if you're having a shit time in life; you can move on from it. You know, and it's I hope people get that.
1: Great. Well, thank you so much. It really it really an honor to speak with you today, and I hey hope me, to Robert. see you on tour next year. It. I hope you do, man. I can't wait. Believe me. I know. <laughs> I want to see you next. Bye-bye. Take, Take care. care of yourself, brother. Bye-bye. For all our listeners, a reminder that Frank Bellow's new book, Fathers, Brothers, and Sons, is available now. Also, remember this interview is available on several platforms, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and, of course, on our website and social media sites.